Welcome to Write Good, the podcast that helps you write good. I'm R.S. Benedict, and I'll be your waiter this evening. On tonight's menu, we're starting off with a discussion about the lack of physicality in contemporary speculative fiction. Then we'll move on to the entree, in which we chew on why, exactly, it's so important to consider food in your writing. And for dessert, we will leave you with an assortment of examples to follow. Joining us is Carlo Jaeger Rodriguez, storyteller and head chef at Podside Picnic. Thank you for coming, Carlo. Well, thank you for having me. And you know what? I will be also the waiter at the table of success <laughs> at writing good. Because um, you are a hater. I am a hater. What this is I a say? haters only podcast. I mean, I do I do try to put in the special ingredient. I try to put in hater into creator every day. You're you are making fresh squeezed haterade. <laughs> Damn straight. But yeah, th- thanks for having me back. Let me just throw out something really funny because it is something that is a big culture shock for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, having been born and raised in, in Puerto Rico, I think most Latin American countries have it carried over from like probably from Spanish, like you know, Spanish customs, mm-hmm. where you if you see someone eating, you you actually say buen provecho, which is you know the equivalent of saying bon appetit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, good luck may 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 fortune favor you is 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 pretty much what you're you're saying and it's such a weird thing to just people just chow down and if you bother them they they look at you they give you a stink eye and it's like yeah uh, so, yeah yeah the so, closest thing we have is to like comment on it yeah hey <laughs> that looks well, good I, I guess yeah i guess the, the it, that that's where you you leave the space so they can just uh, post their food to, to instagram we are now shifting to uh kids on our lawn yelling at them <laughs> yeah like I, I do i do think that it's very odd to me the very few instances in i'm not gonna say i'm like i have read everything but a lot of novels and short fiction well you know you can sort of see why but unless it's about making food, you don't really see it in short fiction and novels. It's very odd to see any mention of food. Yeah. Like, like there's glancing mentions, but not anything like, I don't know, the, the, the literary equivalent of like the beginning of Eat Man, Drink Woman or something, you know? When yeah. When you're watching yeah. the old guy making an entire meal. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that is part of just the general lack of, of of bodies in a lot of fiction, contemporary fiction, especially sci-fi fantasy. The lack of attention to food is part of that, but in general, you kind of I, I get a sense in a lot of fiction that people don't really live in bodies, and they don't have spaces. There are neither bodies nor spaces. They're just sort of vague floating intellects operating upon things, but no one's really like in a body that much and i think part of that is just the way we live is very like sit and look at screen look at the bad screen in the office and then go home and look at the good screen and we're in a very non-physical society at least in contemporary north american society and and part of that too i think is that anglo culture is a very non-physical culture in a lot of ways you just you just reminded me uh, that the, specifically the online aspect 
I do feel because there is there is a somewhat perhaps jokingly misanthropic transhumanism like that you'll see yeah. perhaps in older in specifically in older fans who will say ah this old meat sack you know mm-hmm. and they dismiss their own bodies and I do wonder if the fact that essentially you create an ephemeral you that it only exists online has sort of affected things in general yeah i definitely think that's a big part of it and also especially with geeks there's a lot of self-hatred with the body and a lot of contempt for the body too like i know it's kind of stereotypical but how much do geeks hate sports how much do they look down on sports people who enjoy sports people who play sports we don't like sports sports are for jocks and jocks are bad yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. If you're if you're operating on the uh, usual uh, weird '80s binary of Revenge yeah. of the Nerds, which is a horrible movie, yes, mm-hmm. you're you're not wrong. And I know that doesn't necessarily reflect the reality we live in, but for a lot of geeks, and it's not just dude geeks, women, girl nerds, and girl geeks absolutely have some version of this too. That's pretty similar. The idea that you live in a body is bad, or the idea of really enjoying. A, f- a physical life is bad, and that can include like how we approach food and how we approach sports. It's like mm-hmm. food is fuel for the body, and also exercise. If if you do it, is like maintenance for the body or a chore. The idea of hey, let's all go out and play some sort of sport or go swimming or go hiking for fun. It's like no, ew, no, <laughs> that's jocks. Why would you do that? Why, why would you enjoy swimming? Like, well, swimming's kind of nice. It's, it's pretty nice. Yep, feels yep. good. It's nice to swim. Well, I, I, I think that there's also to your point about contempt or orness of the body. Some of that may simply be people that have like chronic pain issues or chronic illness that's perfectly understandable but yeah like that it sucks but yeah that like you are still part of a body um and it i suppose it could be acknowledged yeah Um, but but yeah i think that it's it's also like apart from that uh if if not sort of factored in there uh, I would also wonder if it's something about like just feeling embarrassed about some of the gross stuff that your body yeah. does and wants to do and you know it's just sort of like I don't know you I, I got over puberty a long time ago <laughs> yeah yeah thankfully I didn't have a traumatic pub uh, you know like adolescence so mm-hmm. there is that or at least yeah. not 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 uh, above the baseline of trauma that <laughs> just having a body gives you, right? So food is, I mean, obviously a part of having a body. You have to put food in it, and the foods you do put in it do affect the body you have. So while food is obviously a subset of this lack of physicality, we're going to focus on food because specificity is good, and also we're we're both people who enjoy food. We we are both people who like eating a whole lot. <laughs> yes, yes. I and, love and, food. I fucking love that shit. It's great. I'm very fond and, of it. And I have a wide variety of. I'm like, I I love cooking, but yeah. also I also just like anyone else loves garbage food. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like put put a bag of Cheetos in front of me, I will decimate it. Yeah. I love cooking. I love great food. I love junk food. I love 
delicious, healthy food. I love trying food from other cultures, from other parts of the world. Uh, I try I, trying new recipes from other cultures. New recipes, not- new types of cuisine. I'm always very excited about that stuff. I've I grew up in a house that was very obsessed with food in good ways and bad ways. Uh, Both of my parents were a a bit gluttonous, but also obsessed with dieting. So I got like both weird ends of it. I got to live through my mom going through every weird diet trend of the 90s and (laughs) like like Snackwell's cookies and, you know, watching the Susan Powder stop the insanity VHS tape Uh, and all that bullshit. You you took it straight out of my head. I was thinking exactly about... I she watched that video. Is, yeah. I remember seeing it and thinking as a little kid, this woman's crazy. Why are you listening to her? She's insane. But Yeah, like like the first minute or so, you're like, okay, yeah, yeah. And then she veers off into like La La Land. You're like, wait, hold on. I've made a horrible mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Let me change yeah, the she, channel. She goes, she's just fucking bananas. Just, yeah. It's, just, it's so important. And, and especially if you're, if you're, a woman food is such a big part of you on one hand you're supposed to be a good cook but on the other hand you're not supposed to eat or like you're supposed to be thin but you're not really supposed to diet because girls who worry about being thin and who don't like to eat are bad so you're kind of well, I, I don't really know you're kind of fucked coming and going yep yep um uh, unless unless you're french and then you just smoke constantly then you're just magically thin i don't know i guess no uh, i mean uh, i think i think i read somewhere that one of the, the the more pithy observations about the french diet why do is like yeah, yeah. You're, you're not thinking about how much these people smoke how much <laughs> they smoke and how there's walk to things in france yeah yeah you can walk to things not everything is car wait they have 15 minute cities i thought that was a bad thing yeah yeah that's, that's oppressive you can walk to things <laughs> you can walk to a little cafe and grab a little croissant as you walk to work it sounds lovely it's a really nice way to start the day and go <laughs> and wa- walk down walk down the 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 rue you know whichever rue you're on yeah, and delightful. chuckle chuckle to yourself in the french manner going ho 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 yeah it sounds really good yeah and and also i have the the two different you know dad was very like german greek and then mom puerto rican so you have these two very different attitudes toward food of the like you know, German Protestant <laughs> attitudes toward food versus Puerto Rican attitudes toward food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's such it's such a strange. It, it is it is a very strange uh, combination there. Well, but I, but you get to see how different like food culture is from different oh, yeah, cultures, yeah. and I think Americans, especially like, kind of like white Protestant Americans, have a really bad food culture. <laughs> Well, I mean, let's not forget those uh, mid-century horrific recipes. Yeah. Yeah, you look back on them, you're like, oh, yeah, that's why people were thinner back then. Do you want more lima bean gelatin? Like, no. No, I don't. No one will ever want more of that. (laughs) Why why are there olives in my lime green jello? What the hell? Oh, my fucking God. I, I, I wouldn't, I, you know what, actually, now that I think about it, it might actually taste fine if it's just olives, but, you know, anything else. Mm. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, yeah. American food culture is really weird. It's very warped, where we're simultaneously really puritanical and all about self-control and self-denial, but also disgustingly excessive at the same time. And somehow these two opposing impulses, instead of balancing each other out, they just make each other more extreme. 
you just reminded me of one of the weirdest anecdotes from one of the weirdest sort not weirdest anecdotes actually a very good anecdote that sort of explains this to explained it to me from the weirdest source which is mike huckabee huh. uh was like he was talking about i think they were they were interviewing him it might have been some old bill maher thing or something you know he sucks but yeah, th- this yeah. this this is definitely one of these things where he asked him like, "Oh, I I see that you've you've lost some weight, and your diet's going very well, blah blah." And Huckabee said that, "Yeah, for a lot of my life and during my upbringing, I I was told that if I was a good boy, I could have treats. I mean, I, I'm boiling right. it down a little bit, and so therefore you you equate moral goodness with having." this excessive sweet thing right as a reward and that that sort of like really opened things up for me he's like oh yeah i could see that yeah that'll fuck you up (laughs) yeah yep it's weird like we we're obsessed with food but we hate it and we're ashamed of it too Mm -hmm. a lot of this probably comes from german protestant culture they eat cold bread for dinner for fuck's sake are you kidding me (laughs) At least put it in the toaster. At least toast it, motherfucker. And, and geeks, I think, see the body as a vehicle for intellect and not a home. And, and to be fair, like, say, if you're, you know, if you have a disability, you might have a more fraught relationship with your body. Or if you're on the spectrum, you might have a fraught relationship mm-hmm. with your body or with food. Like, a lot of people who are on the spectrum have issues with certain textures or something. A lot of kids, autistic kids, will go through a phase where they only want to eat like white food or something <laughs> like that like they'll only eat white foods and they'll just freak out if any food with color appears on mm-hmm. the plate and stuff and and there is you kind of see that with this american food culture we have like soylent meal replacers we have meal kits we have a lot of fast food in general it's kind of seeing food as a shame or a burden but well, not as a joy yeah and also there's a weird insistence on even if it's quote all natural right yeah it, it needs to be processed in some way and and you, you just reminded me of like the juicero you remember because it's supposed juicero. To, you remember the juicero i mean yes i love be, it it was supposed to be like basically uh, a, a juicer right the Which tesla of juicers yes the, of, uh, the cyber truck of juicers <laughs> for sure and basically <laughs> all it did was just like squeeze out <laughs> this is a 600 dollar capri sun yes yes well and you had to buy the the big capri sun pouches Pou- i mean uh, the, ostensibly if if we're supposed to take them at face value right the pouches are then filled with basically a fruit puree but then okay so what's the exp- like what is your experience with fruit if 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 that's the only experience you have, then what? I mean, I don't know. I mean, yes, you're ingesting f- fruit products, I suppose. Yeah. But without, it's not without the, s- the fiber. Without the fiber, you're getting without. rid of the fiber when you juice it. Yes, the fiber is really important. Yeah, like exactly. Like like you are not experiencing like you could drink apple juice, but it's not the same as eating an apple. Yeah. Right. It's a a totally different experience. And I'm not trashing juice. I like juice. Oh, I like juice too. I enjoy juice. Grant, I get granted, juice at the expensive juice bar. I know it's I'm paying like eight dollars for a glass of juice, but I yes. do it sometimes. I, I I also I'm a sucker for that as well. But I love like, that I, shit. I also know that it's like mostly sugar. <laughs> I know it's total bullshit, but I'll do it. 
but but you know it it th- there's a reason that you like it right it's, and, and again it's most it's because it's mostly sugar but yeah you know. <laughs> ah there's there's celery in this glass of juice i'm, I'm being healthy <laughs> i'm very healthy today I'm being it's like good yeah it's, it's like drinking a v8 and going like i mean i i suppose a v8 is somewhat a bit more closer to what we're talking about but yeah even then it's like trying to drink a v8 and going like oh yeah i can tell you i can definitely taste the kale in this you're mm-hmm. like no no you can't you're just drinking yeah. like tomato juice come on dude yeah which i think is fine sometimes it's just like look oh shit i haven't gotten enough fruit and vegetables yet today okay fuck yeah yeah put it in my body i need so my organs keep keep running okay (laughs) i need i need some vitamin c so i don't get fucking scurvy yeah but in general we kind of treat food as a burden and not Mm -hmm. a joy not just the chore of cooking which to be fair like that fucking is frustrating. It, it, it can be really annoying, and sometimes you don't want to fucking do it. You're busy. But also, we kind of almost treat eating like a chore, deciding what to eat as a chore. We give people really short lunch breaks. A lot of the time, there's not really a place to eat in the office. Like, mm-hmm. my, my office... There's one very small cafeteria on one floor of a 16-floor office building. There's, like, not enough seats for everyone, so people just kind of eat lunch at their desks, which, like, that, that sucks, dude. I I think that there is something to making space like almost a ritual for food, right? Yeah. Uh, be be it eating, be it cooking, I mean it, it can be all together, right? Yeah. But but setting aside that time and if you're just eating at your desk, you you are not reinforcing that ritualistic uh practice, if you will, right? Nah. Because you're just sort of like mushing together. Oh, this is my workspace. It's, it's yeah. it, I'm eating lunch. It's fine. Yeah, and and it sucks. I'm currently in, d- attempting to practice mindful eating, and it it is a real extraordinary difference in how you start relating to food when you're really like paying attention to it and actually listening to your body. Am I am I genuinely hungry? Am I do I actually want more food or do I feel ready to just stop eating this? And it's like. It does change your relationship with your body and with food in a big way, but it's very hard to do that in a culture where you're supposed to eat at your desk and you get like maybe a half hour lunch break. It's tough. So I'm not like trying to trash people who have a warped relationship with food. North America is set up in such a way that of course you're going to have a fucked up attitude Mm -hmm. toward food. Of course you're going to have a bad relationship with it. We're not given the space to have a good relationship with food. Yeah, I mean, and and in general, I would say that to to perhaps jump off your point is the fact that God help you if you don't if you have more than one job too. Mm-hmm. So like if you you have a part time and then an evening part time, yeah. what what time do you actually have to between commuting and go, yeah. getting here? Yeah, like you grab fast food in your car on the mm-hmm. way to the second job, and that's that's terrible. Yeah, I mean it. it it's fine, but if you're doing it like every day of every week, it's probably yeah. not going to be great for you. Yeah, and it's just not, you know, that's distracted driving and distracted eating, and it's just not really getting time to really appreciate what you're eating. It, it, it's I don't I don't like it. I don't. Yeah, I, it's it's not great. I I also want to emphasize that this is I'm just trying to sort of figure out as a culture. I feel like this is one of those systemic things that 
if you can't make enough in one job, that sort of has a rolling effect on everything else in your life, mm-hmm. including how you have a relationship with food. And sometimes you just can't literally cannot afford to have a, a proper a, a relationship yeah. with food that we are idealizing here. Yeah. Uh, in so, money or in time. Yes. In, in resource. Because exactly. time is also, time is such a big resource when it comes to food. And, uh, and a lot of us don't have that during the day. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I, I just want to make sure that I'm also sort of a, a making, making sure that people out there that are listening don't think that, you know, like, ah, you should just, you know, d- do this. Just the, make this healthier one- choices, Americans. You yeah. know, <laughs> the, the, this one easy trick, you know, no, no, it's no, not. It's, we're it's not, not lecturing people. We're not looking down on it. Neither of us is perfect for sure. <laughs> oh, hell no. Hell no. <laughs> You, 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 if if there's a a bag of gummies in <laughs> in my house, that bag is going to be empty soon. Oh um, wow! So, so I, I I am uh, yeah I am not perfect at all. But so um, one thing, if if I can step back just briefly, because another thing that I'm thinking about, at least in writing, right, is that one of the reasons that I. I wonder about, apart from all of the stuff we've already discussed, is this sort of like slavish adherence to the action thriller, plot-driven sort of work, where it, it sort of invites like, well, why did they, why did they have to have like, unless your 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 hero or your protagonist right. is a Sla- Slavoj Žižek, you know, just like two fisting two chili dogs, just inhaling them <laughs> on the go. Yeah, he, he, there's no time for food if you're running to the right, next right. objective. How does this contribute to the plot? I don't know. It's oh, a fucking God. breather, dude. Just fucking. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that in a little bit, actually. Why don't Why don't we get into what's the point of writing about food? What's the point of including food? Because yeah, maybe showing your hero eat a sandwich will not advance the all important plot, but it can reveal something about the world mm-hmm. and the people living in it. So let's dig into that. I mean, to start off, a character's individual personality can be revealed by their personal food preferences or choices. For example, with gender, our personal anxieties about masculinity or social class or the image you're trying to project to others come out in the food you eat. Like there's a lot of anxiety about manly food or feminine food. Women are scared of getting fat. Men are scared of looking like women so -hmm. certain foods are very manly certain foods are more feminine but also like kind of forbidden like sweet foods are more feminine but also you'll get fat if you eat it but you know men also like cake and 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 men might be afraid to like eat something pink you know (laughs) even if you like strawberry ice cream like you can't order it because it's not manly enough Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well i mean uh, just think of the the old stereotypical like women be eating salads you know yeah. uh but but imagine if you had like your your super masculine mm-hmm. action he- guy action hero and he stops to have a salad yeah uh versus you have a, a, a woman character eating like a huge cheeseburger yeah. extra fries you know well like i could all see stuff. them doing that with a woman character only if she's skinny then it's like look how hot it is she's skinny <laughs> Skinny woman, like there was, Paris Hilton was in those pornographic burger ads some years mm. ago, where she's just that like, is that is fair, yeah. Where she's just giving a fucking blowjob to a cheeseburger, basically on a car, <laughs> just just fucking going crazy. 
I, I waited tables some years and years ago, and when I waited tables, I noticed women were way more uptight about food than men, like <laughs> salad dressing on the side, this needs to be cooked exactly this way, This can you substitute that for that? And men were just like, yeah, okay, I love a sandwich. How do you like your sandwich? I don't know, this tastes good. But I'm kind of wondering if that's changed, because now there's this weird right-wing red pill class of guys who are really worried about, like, seed oils and shit with their little <laughs> cards asking the waiter at Waffle House if he could cook the food in ghee or something <laughs> like that. Like, I'm kind of wondering if, if, if men are getting weird about food at restaurants now. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there are some. Uh, yeah, I, th- that is, that is a, a, an interesting thing. The isn't seed it? oils, guys. Well, also, uh, like all those weird, this just disgusting influencers is like, I'm going to eat uh, like uh, a stick of butter between sliced bull testicles. Yeah, those and, fucking guys. And and you watch them, and they you can tell that they're they're very delicately delicately eating like the corner of it and getting mostly butter. Yeah. And you're like, you're not eating that for. You're real. not eating this shit. You're trying to get other people to eat that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so. That's like just an exa- one example of what can be revealed about a person's, like their personality or their anxieties is what do they order? What do they order at the restaurant versus what do they kind of wish they could have but will eat in private? Sometimes people will like eat healthier stuff in public and then binge on something junky in private. Or sometimes mm-hmm. a person with a restrictive eating disorder will put forward a presentation of looking like they eat normally or looking like they eat kind of junk food and then privately like just not eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. When you were talking about like stuff on the side, you you brought to mind that whole scene in when Harry met Sally, <laughs> where Meg Ryan's character is like she wants everything on the side, <laughs> the, the the ketchup on the side, the fries on the side, the you know, if she could, she would have like had a deconstructed hamburger. She was ahead of her time. Yeah, yeah, she was brilliant. <laughs> I do want to point out that um, something that if we can step back real quick and mm-hmm. say the. It also reveals something about what the world is, right? Yeah. Um, in the sense that if you go to a market, even a farmer's market or, or a supermarket, you already, there's a lot of assumptions already there folded in. It's just simply, you don't really think about it because if there is a market, that means that there's specialized people that grow the crops. That means that uh, somebody also, there's a distribution network of some sort to, mm-hmm. to bring these things. If you get stuff from overseas or stuff out of season, let's mm-hmm. not even overseas, let's say you are getting strawberries in the middle of December. Right. Well, either they're being shipped in from somewhere else, which is probably more prop is, is probably the more likely of the two things, or they're getting it from greenhouses, which might point to a more organic, yeah. uh, but also somewhat limited supply of that right Um, one of the more uh, sort of shocking things for me having lived in puerto rico born and raised all my life 40 plus years in puerto rico i had never thought about the fact that rice was not a staple until the 20th century oh yeah I think even through the Spanish Empire's occupation of the island, there was still, especially in the country, there's still very, very wedded to a lot of West African uh, food more mm. more recently, but also lots of cassava, oh, yeah. which was like the, the Tainos used cassava for all sorts of different things, <laughs> make bread out of it, all that good stuff, and lots and lots of fish. 
Oh, yeah. That makes sense. It's an island. What else you got? You got fish. Yep. There's ocean everywhere. Yeah. Uh, uh, Naben Ruthnam, in, in a previous episode, liked to point out that curry is often used as a symbol of authentic Indian culture, but curry is only possible because of colonialism. Mm-hmm. Those peppers that are in curry, those are New World foods. Those are yep. from North. Those are from the Americas. So, until the 1400s, you you would not have those in Southeast yes. Asia. Anything that has potatoes, tomatoes, beans, yep. uh, most most beans. I would I would probably say fava beans and probably a couple of other like soybeans and a couple of other things. Mm-hmm. Probably were all over the place in in the Middle East, Europe. It's parts of Europe and, and Asia. But yeah, like um, beans, squash, potatoes, tomatoes, mm-hmm. and cayenne, and like you said, cayenne, peppers, and, Most and that types f- of peppers. Family. Lots yeah. of types of peppers. Just no, nothing. None of that. It's all new world foods. Yeah, and rice, likewise, probably was shipped from Spain, like Spain's colonies in Asia yeah. to the new world, and you know, so on and so forth. Uh, it, or it thinking is, about it is tea, like when did england actually get access to tea i mean wasn't that sort of like essentially the east india company's uh, yeah cash cow? Like it was not that long ago yeah it's, not, it's kind not of seen of as this inherently british thing but you're not going to have that in like the year 1000 probably no. you just no you just didn't have it yet it's it it's not from england it is not originally from england coffee <laughs> don't let's not forget coffee, coffee. And chocolate. Chocolate, yes. Chocolate seen of as inherently Belgian, even though it is it is not from Belgium. And and I do find it kind of interesting that when we talk about cultural appropriation of foods, we never think about coffee or chocolate. We do not think about any of the, you know, like chai is cultural appropriation, but hot cocoa isn't. <laughs> you, you took it right out of my mouth. Yeah. I was thinking about that tweet. It just drove me insane for a day. I was like, so, oh, so your turmeric chai is cultural appropriation, but chocolate hot chocolate is not right how exactly please do tell yeah i, I wasn't sure if it was a a a a, a, a parody or troll <laughs> yeah or or if she was being you know very sincere but yeah anyway. or 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 a mixture of each you know yes one of those that too. things yeah so so that is another thing to keep in mind if you're say writing a fantasy novel the foods available, the ingredients available to your characters are very based on the politics of the world, the resources in the world, trade routes, colonialism. Wars change what food is available. Like if you if you conquer another land, hey, guess what? We we have we can try these new ingredients or styles of cuisine. Or war can mean shipping routes are cut off mm-hmm. war can mean there's rationing and you can't get s- or or you can't access certain goods or maybe your your country's mad at another country so you won't eat their food anymore or you're going to start calling it something else like you're going to call it yeah. victory cabbage instead of sauerkraut or something silly freedom, like that freedom fries freedom perhaps. fries hot dogs instead of frankfurters and things like that spices the seasonings that are of, of available to you are hugely dependent on just trade routes on on travel and also the popularity of spices, the popularity of food is a lot of it dependent on class. When spices finally became accessible to normal people, like normal people were just dumping crazy amounts of spice on everything, so it became kind of gauche. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. to put a lot of spices on your food, and suddenly high class Europeans stopped using them at mu- as much because now it's like, oh, now it's trashy for everyone. Well, it's it, 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 I think it, it simply crossed a line from yeah. novelty into a signaling of some sort of ethnicity. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And especially, like, I think that that's something that we got, we got the shit end of the stick on that one in North America, didn't we? Because yeah, that's God. the thing that the English passed on to the U.S. to a certain degree, right? Yeah. This, this horrible... British fat, food uh, culture is just fucking awful. Uh, and, 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 and a lot of German food culture, too. Like, German baking is good, but German savory foods are, mm-hmm. are, are unfortunate. I'm, I'm I, sorry. I would probably say that from what I've seen of lower class English food, like yeah. from the lower classes, that English breakfast that looks legitimately like it. It, it also that looks, looks fucking like great. It looks great. I would eat the. I would house the fuck out. Yeah, of Yeah, I would house it and then go right back to sleep. Yes, exactly. You go back into hibernation because yes, <laughs> yeah. you need to because you've just eaten seven thousand calories of breakfast. It looks great. I mean, it, it's it's also like a a. Um, sort of like a, a relic of a almost a bygone era right because this right. is supposed to be like this is what you eat when you go down into the fucking mines and right. you know ha- swing a hammer for four hours straight or something yeah um and, and that'll that'll definitely burn off all those calories but, oh yeah uh, yeah that that is that is food for someone who is going to work extremely fucking hard all day so uh, but that yeah, is not for me at my desk. <laughs> but yeah, I, I one of the things that's really interesting to me, and and I don't see it explored very often, is this idea of, um, you know, in general, who you know, who writes the cookbooks generally aren't the people who own land, or, or rather, the yeah. other way around, the 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 people who own land end up writing cookbooks and sort of weirdly erase or or. Uh, view as quaint or quote low country cuisine stuff that they have not themselves written yeah. down as a recipe you know right or or it's gotten better but also with gender too i mean who actually cooked versus who actually wrote the cookbooks it was for mm-hmm. a very long time it was the cookbooks were written by male chefs but like who's actually doing the majority of the cooking mm-hmm. well we know who it's not a man so, so a lot of this is like taking recipes from women and, and just, ah, I put a male name on it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, although I have seen uh, a fair share, and this might be um, his own research. I don't know if you follow Max Miller's uh, Tasting History. Mm-mm. He has a little YouTube channel, and he's also put out a cookbook and all that good stuff. I, I am not being paid by Max Spiller, yeah. just FYI. But but he has, on several of the episodes, he will denote that this is a, a recipe originally from a woman who was you know had written a cookbook. It's just simply like been lost mm-hmm. or yeah. is no longer in use or something like that. I don't know whether he is balancing things out uh, mm-hmm. Or, or whatnot, but but yeah, like I, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if a lot of those are also erased simply yeah. because somebody else bought the patent or, or you know whatever it may be yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. But so so we're revealing a lot about society, a lot a lot about uh, history, trade routes, social class, gender, history. Um, I said history like three times in that past sentence. Commercial pressure also. Mm-hmm. can change diet like the dairy council kind of strong-armed the government into making a bunch of ads telling people to drink more milk to convince people that they need more milk than they really do and a lot of it was just coming out of like we need to sell more milk tell people it's really important 
to drink milk. Like, <laughs> not really. I don't think it's quite as um, essential as we're led to believe. Although yeah. milk is a good thing to have uh, if right. you are going through a famine, for instance. But I will say that... Um, like, do you remember, like, in the, I want to say it's, like, in the 90s, I want to say even, like, the mid-90s, where Domino's had that big thing, it was like, now, with more cheese on your pizza, and it was, basically, yeah. there were, like, huge stores of cheese stored in, like, these salt, abandoned or, or decommissioned salt mines uh, <laughs> that, that they had to just get, start using, because otherwise, it was just there's just too much of it. They needed to use yeah. it. Um, and, and then there's America and corn. We have oh, corn subsidies, so everything is corn. Everything is made of corn. All you're, food you're is corn. All food has corn in it. Your car is made of corn. There's corn in your car. You're corn. Well, I'm corn. Your, your gas tank has corn in it. If if There's anyone it. if anyone stops at a gas station that has 10% ethanol, well... <laughs> and ethanol is not a good biofuel at all. It's no, terrible. no, it is not. It, it is terrible. It's just we got corn. Yeah. Well, so, <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's one of these things where it, it the footprint of corn itself and the the systems that have grown up around it necessitate using any surplus in any way, shape, or form that you can. Right? This right. is just simply an economic sort of like what what will happen. Right? Given enough surplus, given enough control or, or pressure on the economy, and mm -hmm. given enough lobbying power as well. Let's not yeah. forget that. Corporations can do so much to just convince us that we need to eat this certain way. And then you find out, like, oh, we don't? We just eat this way? Because, like, some company in the 1950s just decided to tell us to? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, all bullshit. Most of, specifically the ethanol, if I remember correctly, there's a lot of it that's that's sort of been uh, lobbied for on behalf of the Koch brothers, for instance. <sighs> um, on the other end of things, you can also price something out of reach of its original community, right? Right, isn't that uh, what happened with quinoa? Exactly right, yes. All the crunchy granola hippie types have quinoa. I'm, I'm being a little a little flippant here because yeah. quinoa, I think, is is probably a good thing if you are if you have like a gluten intolerance or something like that. But but honestly, it's, it's become more profitable to ship it overseas, and therefore it's become more expensive for like the the indigenous peoples who throughout South America who, yeah. who used to depend on it. Yeah. So that's another thing is colonization. If you are a colonized society, you might suffer famines. Your traditional diet might end up changing to that of the colonizer, or you might end up stuck with a lot of crappy processed food. One very good example is the United States turning Puerto Rico into a giant sugar plantation has fucked up the food supply of the island to this day. And to this day, Puerto Ricans are still living on lots of overpriced processed food and have staggeringly high rates of diabetes and heart disease as a result it's it's really fucking bad yep yep yeah there's a lot of processed foods there, there's really not a choice to not take it because it yeah you you sort of have to um yeah. because i mean you can't stop it at the port and go like no no more we're 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 full up of spam yeah we got <laughs> enough cornflakes man the shipping laws and all that are, are favor of the U.S., right? Right, uh, right. Before that, it was rice. Before that, it was sugar. Even the Spaniards tried to get in on the sugar thing. But yeah, it is, it is very strange to see. If you ever go to the island, you can drive down a highway and see the weird detritus of the old sugar plantations. You'll just be mm -hmm. driving down and see this decrepit, 
sugar central basically with a big smokestack yeah falling slowly falling apart but you know no one can really do anything because it's historic and also no one wants to fix it either because there's no money so right right so so that's one example another example from history i it's interesting i was watching killers of the flower moon and Mm. they talk they they touch upon the fact that the switch to a white european style diet is having disastrous effects on the health of these Osage characters, the main character's wife has diabetes. Mm. And it's a major part of the story. It's a huge, huge part of the story that she has diabetes. And this is in an era when, like, I think it's like half a dozen people can afford this new field te- technology called insulin. Mm. It's a very new technology, and and very few people can even afford it because it's so fucking new. This is like peak science right now. So the main character's wife has diabetes, and this is in the old days when it's super hard to manage that. And there's a point where her doctor tells her, you have to stop eating like a white. You can't eat like a white. Hmm. And I found that so interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, isn't is that also like uh, something that affects a lot of people in Hawaii, like a lot of the native Hawaiians as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, just, just in general, a lot of the colonization and, and the genocide meant... You know, switching from a, a traditional diet, which was overall a hell of a lot leaner and, and healthier, to not just white European-style diet, but poor white European-style diet, diet. A lot of, again, processed foods, and I, I, and it was a fucking disaster. Again, mm-hmm. rates of diabetes and heart disease are staggering on reservations. It's really, really bad. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I believe it. I believe it. Because um, it's impossible to eat the traditional diet without the traditional lifestyle, really. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. One of the other things that you just reminded me of is because of the effects of profitability on f- what foods are then prioritized, you end up with monocultures because, like, think, yeah. of, the ban- think of bananas. Right. There used to be, was it, like, hundreds of types of bananas <laughs> And Chiquita Banana said, no, fuck it. We're going to have yeah, this, this is one. the one type. This is the one type. I mean, there are still other ones, but uh, they, they are of varying degrees of edibility. Let's put it that yeah. way. And the one type we have there's a, there's a, is possibly under threat of going extinct, which already happened. That happened to another type of banana that just doesn't exist anymore. Well, that's the, or that's something, the, which is crazy. No, that's... That's the banana that you. Uh, that's the banana that tastes like the the banana flavoring. That yeah, you'll banana find. flavored candy tastes like the mm-hmm. weird the type of banana that went extinct. Is it like more blend. more custardy? Uh, yeah. taste to it. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a weird. It's a weird. And that taste. might happen again. There's signs it's going to happen again. Well, you know, which is like so fucking weird. Well, you know. Uh, so, so um, another thing that I want to m- mention. Speaking of like uh, how it div- like how it reveals uh, things of the culture, something that my grandfather told me uh, mm-hmm. was that when he was a kid, he grew up like dirt poor in the mountains of Ibonito in Puerto Rico, right? Yeah, and uh, he was like one of seven kids, and when dinner dinner time came around, you better fucking eat your meat. And yeah. dessert, quick, because if if anyone anyone came by for a visit, a guest, yeah. because of the hospitality culture, right, uh, they would take the shit right off your plate and give oh it my to god, the, give it to the guest because <gasps> the guests get treated as well as you can. Oh fuck! 
Oh no, I'd go crazy. I'd go yeah, I'd go nuts. I'd I would stab someone with a fork if you tried to do that. To me. <laughs> I mean, it's like I, I would like, eat your fucking hand. Yeah, I, I I don't think of myself as super hyper individualistic, but that was something that when he told me that me as like a six or seven year old was just like flabbergasted. I was like, wait, what? Yeah, how dare you? No, no. You, they could just take your food, <laughs> right? Oh God! So so that brings us to not just the food that's available, the ingredients that are available, but also the culture. Obviously, there are different cultural practices around food. Like what what's in vogue? How do you eat together? Who sits with what? Do the women sit with the men? Do the women have to wait until the men have finished? Do you eat family style where everybody shares dishes from the center, or do you have your individual plate? So when you're setting this up and say your spe- your second world fantasy novel, these are questions to consider that reveal a lot about the society, the the gender dynamics, the interpersonal dynamics. You might think of you might think in terms of like how do people eat? What are the customs involved in food? Do you, do you say grace? You know, how yeah. how do you share food? Because sharing food often is very ritualistic in cultures, and it can be kind of sacred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Or, or it could be a taboo. Like, do you share food with somebody else that you do not really know very well? That that would feel very weird, wouldn't it? Because it yeah. feels like sort of intimate uh, in a way, and and. Does that mean something? I don't know that I've ever seen something like that, but it is something Mm -hmm. to think about when you're sitting down to write. And there are rules based on who sits where. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's The head of the table or something. In China, it's a round table, but there are rules in terms of who is facing the door or who has their back to the door, Mm -hmm. I think is like the, the... the place where the important person sits or something like that. I, I forget exactly. Like, there are just tons and tons and tons of these specific rules in different cultures. It, so you're revealing the rules of the culture, and you're also revealing the relationships between characters. Like, who's cooking for whom? Who's feeding whom? Is somebody reminding someone else to eat? Do you eat together? Do you eat in front of the TV? There's so much, you know, food as love or food as control. I mean, so many girls have food issues because of their moms being mm-hmm. critical about the way they eat, but also offering people food or, or trying to incur- push somebody to eat is such a sign of love, too. It's, it's one of the most humanizing moments in Oppenheimer, where his friend is reminding him to eat. It's hmm. it's really cute. He's got this friend who's like this chunky dude who who is a friend of his and is not refuses to take part in the Los Alamos project, but is still kind of a, his friend. And there are just these moments where like Oppenheimer is just looking kind of fucked up and sad, and his friend just like peels an orange and hands it to him like you need to eat before you disappear. And it's <laughs> this really kind of sweet humanizing moment of like yeah. oh yeah this this weird weirdo scientist guy is also a human with a stomach. And he needs to be reminded to eat. <laughs> he's not uh-huh. merely he's not merely a big brain thinking about exploding He's not merely a big brain. And, and it's showing, like, even though the, these guys have these very different attitudes about something, it, it, it's still like, you're still my friend, I still care about you, have some vitamin C. I think that that's a good, that's a good uh, example, right? Of someone like, I mean, it's, it's one of the most basic things that we need to do, yeah. right? Uh, apart from yeah. like, breathe. 
and and that's such a thing with I mean the stereotypical thing that your your mom asks you if you're away from home is, are you eating well are you are you eating enough are, are they feeding you okay are you eating okay yeah. <laughs> that's so the stereotypical mom like are, are, are they feeding you enough you know yeah, or or, or you, you you come home you come home to visit and they press a plate on you even yep. though no mom I'm I, yeah. I, I'm good I'm good or they do I, the I, thing where they nag you for your weight gain while pressing a plate on you like oh, <laughs> god damn it it's so funny that that's such a thing that's so normal in other cultures but we one of our members of the Discord is like Irish or something and they're horrified he's horrified he's going like, who would do that we're like every culture except you apparently because that's yeah. normal. That's normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, You've it, gotten it, fat. You need to lose weight. I made you some pork. Yeah, it's what? it's uh yeah it's it's also like a very a very uh, Puerto Rican of a certain age will just re- greet you with like oh you look fat <laughs> or you look skinny oh you gotta gotta eat come on yeah it, it's such a weird thing and I think that part of the horrified reaction is the fact that it is it feels very sort of invasive of your own yeah <laughs> your own self you're like your strict individualism which yeah. in in other cultures individualism t- is not that important it does not fucking matter i mean it, it has its bad sides indi- you are yeah, not I, an individual at all <laughs> yeah yeah you're one of us what are you talking about what are you talking about it fucking Hey, fatty, have a sandwich. Like, what? But <laughs> Look at Mr. Roly-Poly. Now he thinks he's a big deal because he went to the city. Come on, have a sandwich. I, th- I feel <laughs> like it's only wasp moms who will tell you you're fat but then won't try to feed you. Mm, fair enough, like, We're yeah. concerned about your health. I have prepared for you a feast of exactly seven almonds. Eat them very slowly. <laughs> I have exa- exactly one unsalted soft-boiled egg for breakfast. <laughs> Half... A triangle of toast. (laughs) No butter. None. Take very small bites. Chew each one 50 times. And exactly one dollop of of cottage cheese. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, wasps are the only moms who, like, hate their kids enough to not feed them while calling them fat. (laughs) They're the only ones who will be consistent. Everybody else will call you a big fatty while handing you a piece of cake. You're reminding me of one of the funniest but most consistently humanizing things Mm -hmm. that Polly Walnuts would do in The Sopranos. He'd always, hey, good gravy today. (laughs) Talking about, like, the the, the sauce. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Italians, they get food. They get food. They're, yes, it, it is a fallacy that white people do not understand food. When people say that, they're really thinking about German Protestants and, like, the United Kingdom. <laughs> Fucking Italians, they know, they, food. they're good at food. What, did you, did you get to see the Irishman? Uh, yes, I did. Remember that there's this, enti- this entire bonding scene, picking at a little loaf of bread. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, there's, it, it, so, it, there's so much food. There's a, that sort of really sad, almost inactive communion in the prison when they're both old as fuck. Mm-hmm. And in Goodfellas, there's so much about food too. I love the scene where they stop at Joe Pesci's mom's house. It's like <laughs> three in the morning. They have a body in the trunk of their car, and this tiny old Italian grandma, played of course by Martin Scorsese's mother, gets out of her fucking bed at three in the morning and, to, and just prepares them a three-course meal. <laughs> Yes. Because that then, is what Italian then, mothers do. And then pulls up like a painting for some reason. Her dog painting. It's so good. <laughs> it's an amazing scene. It's so like loving and humanizing. And meanwhile, these three fucking degenerates have a have a man 
in the trunk of their car. Yeah, he's been stabbed like five times, you know. <laughs> They're taking him out to bury him upstate. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it's okay, I'm going to feed you. So, like multiple courses. There's bread, there's antipasta, there's pasta, there's a dessert. She fucking made a tiramisu, probably. You got you got to watch out with the antipasto and the in the pasta. You mix yeah, it together, it's a big explosion. Mm. Uh, but, it's but yeah, so good. It, it's great. It's great. I think <laughs> I think it's one of those things that that uh, I think Scorsese really nails later it's on so where they real. where they're talking about like them in in prison where it's like a it's like they're they basically have logistics on how to get like their their Sunday meal every week. Yeah. And they yeah. spend all day just cooking it and then eating it. And and don't and it forget, looks so fucking good. And it's this. It's interesting because it's a male bonding exercise of like yes. cooking. Yes. Uh, and and Paulie, uh, Paulie had that great technique where he would slice garlic with with like a razor blade, so with it would just melt. <laughs> it would just melt in the pan. <laughs> it's just God. What? It's wonderful. Like wonderful, you, you, wonderful. You, you watch it and you're like, yeah. you're, you're you're like drooling as you're watching. As you're like, yeah, you know, like, I, I should get a razor blade. That's how I should cook garlic. Yeah, it looks fucking good. Anyway, you were gonna say, <laughs> no, and and I know we're referring a lot of this to fiction based on fiction or or history or stuff based on real life, based on the real world. But we're using these examples just to show this is this is what this is showing about the world we live in. So when you are designing your speculative story maybe maybe it's a futuristic city maybe it's maybe it's set in a second world fantasy or something maybe it's about an alien race this is stuff to consider like mm-hmm. just ha- when you are doing world building a hell of a lot is conveyed just by what people eat and how mm-hmm. this is a very great thing you can use when you are showing stuff about about your characters about the world they live in so that that's what we're getting through out mm-hmm. here and and also we just like talking about food a lot i i i, <laughs> I, I like food i love food i, I, I fucking love I, that I, shit i even love fictional food especially like yeah you you, you know what i was watching we were watching, let's talk about uh, fictional food yes okay let's let's we're, talk about fictional food in speculative fiction novels some some movies and, and stuff too we can talk about some movies but we got to talk about novels and stuff mo- too, so. most 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 of miyazaki's work has food yes somewhere. <laughs> yeah the, it's so funny people will complain like oh what does what does it add to the plot does does the ponyo eating ham scene really add to the plot not really I, I mean kind of but like but it's wonderful. It's just this wonderful moment where the kid's mom makes a bowl of ramen that just looks incredible. You the, just want to eat the screen watching that. Howl's Moving Castle. And that's a, a sort of a weird uh, turning point because it isn't until I think it's Sophie gets there that they suddenly, oh, you know, we could actually cook. Here, give me six eggs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> give me those rashers of bacon. And the, the, the meal looks delicious. Like, I, oh, I, I can Miyazaki movies just looks edible. It looks I, so yeah. fucking good. I cannot blame the kiddo for just, like, trying to tear everything open with his mouth, just gnawing on it with it like a dog, you know? It's yeah. just like, it looks delicious. I would have, I would also eat it with my mouth and hands. And, and uh, they're, I mean, they look good, but they're also usually things that show this bonds being formed between the characters. Ponyo starts really loving Sasuke and falling in love with the surface world when the mom makes them ramen with ham. Mm-hmm. 
that's that's like when she starts realizing like no i want to i want to stay up here they got ham up here this rocks i fucking love this place spirited away has uh the opposite right because it's because of food that everything happens right it's the fairy tale right her parents gluttony yep they they decide to eat fairy food and they get trapped in the fairy realm right yeah they get turned into pigs yep because they pig out too much (laughs) <laughs> hey, you know, it, it pigs with credit cards. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so uh, Miyazaki. Let's, let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk Tolkien because yes. obviously, Tolkien. John, Jonathan, old old uh, Ronnie Tolkien loved himself snacks, and it shows in The Hobbit. He loved food, and, and it's such an endearing feature of the characters. I'm finding Philbo Baggins pretty fucking relatable. He's this fat middle aged guy who doesn't want to be bothered. He just oh. wants to. He just wants to eat cheese and hang out, and he's I, sucked into this bullshit. And he's like, "God fucking damn it! I don't want to do is, this." You 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 picked exactly because I, I I was looking for the quote specifically when he at the beginning of the book because there's this just hilarious scene where like dwarf after dwarf starts showing up at his door and he's running back and forth right and when they've finally sort of like most of them showed up right uh there's this uh little sequence he's like i hope there's something left for latecomers to eat and drink what's that tea no thank you a little red wine i think for me and for me said thorin and raspberry jam and apple tart, said Biffer. And mince pies and cheese, said Bofer. And pork <laughs> pie and salad, said Bomber. And more cakes and ale and coffee, if you don't mind, called the other dwarves through the door. Put on a few eggs, there's a good fellow, Gandalf called after him as the hobbit stumped off to the pantries. And just bring out the cold chicken and pickles. Seems to know as much about the inside of my larders as I do myself, thought Mr. Baggins, who was feeling positively flummoxed and was beginning to wonder whether a most wretched adventure had not come right into his house. By the time he'd got all the bottles and dishes and knives and forks and glasses and plates and spoons and things piled up on big trays, he was getting very hot and red in the face and annoyed. Yeah, so it says a lot about this character. One is that he has so much fucking food in his house already. He's got so much goddamn food. And secondly, about the rules of of uh, hospitality in this culture, that if your guest asks for cakes and ale, you got to fucking get, get him cakes and ale. That no respectable hobbit would say, no, I'm not giving you that. You have to do it. Yeah, if you, if you have it, you must give it. And, and the way the characters talk about food in the lord of the rings trilogy i mean when they're when they're on i know people will complain about eating scenes in in fantasy novels and adventure fantasy but like if you're trekking through the forest for hours and hours and hours when you sit down to eat like you are so goddamn hungry it is the best tasting food if you've ever been on the backpacking trip when you make fucking ramen Ramen feels like a feast. It tastes so good just to eat some <laughs> some shitty top ramen noodles. So like, yeah, yeah you're gonna get excited about that stew because like, holy shit, you've been you've been walking for like seven fucking hours. You're hungry. Or when they stop it to feast at like Rivendell or whatever, like holy yes, we're stopping. We have to stop for fe- food at Rivendell. Holy shit, this is the best <laughs> thing I've ever eaten. I've been fucking eating bugs for a month. Now we're eating like elven fucking gourmet food. Oh my god, I'm dying. Yeah, it is rather funny uh, because yeah, it's absolutely that. You you had uh, I think you had mentioned something about lembas bread. Yes. Um, and and I wonder must- I wonder if like does it taste like power bars? Is it kind of gross? 
I, I you know, you know what I thought it tasted. It, it, it had to taste like. Yeah. The host. Oh no! <laughs> like basically, because that that's sort of like what what they look like, except like big, right? Like little, oh. little. I, I was just thinking in practicality, like it's survival food, like pemmican or something, where it's like it's not very good. <laughs> But it's it's food it's food that you can eat. You're, you're on a camping trip. You're hungry. We got we got a power bar. Like oh, okay, I guess yeah, I'll I mean, eat a power bar. I, I I honestly I think I my my takeaway from basically all the elvish and like even the entish uh, stuff like the ents have like their little uh, weird water. Uh, I think it tastes sort of sweet-ish but also mm. it tastes i think the the description i don't have i don't have it pulled up but I, if i remember correctly it was like it tasted like sunlight and growing things so probably nice. a little earthy probably a little sweet probably yeah. some other third secret thing you know Tolkien was in the first world war the effort these guys had to do to go through to like get tea or food Mm-hmm. Like you're eating canned, and keep in mind, if you light a fire, a cooking fire, you are giving away your position in the trench. Mm-hmm. So in order to heat up water for tea, they had to light like the tiniest little fire to keep from giving away your position. Because you could fucking die. The enemy would see the smoke and like fire a mortar shell at you. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or you, they'd you, like, they would boil shooter. water. Apparently they'd boil water for their tea off of like the heat from the gun barrels or something wild i mean it, it makes sense but yeah because yeah, that shit's wild. hot yeah and, yeah and and like even if you're in a trench and you're english you want some fucking tea god damn it yep yep well and and you had mentioned earlier about um rationing uh speaking oh, yeah. of and that's one of the things i i i always roll my eyes when people is like what's his name edward in the Lion, right. the Witch, and Wardrobe. I mean, he sold out his brothers and sisters for Turkish delight. And you're like, motherfucker, they had not had sugar for months. Yeah. And he's Some- English. Like, that's probably the most delicious thing he's ever eaten <laughs> in his entire life. I, I have, I, I cannot say that I have had Turkish delight. I had um, it and it was a disappointment, but I could see how, like, a little World War One era British boy would be like, this shit rocks. Well, it's I think candy. That, this they they're in World War II, but yeah, they're oh, still rationing. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah, because still, that was not a good time for England. Yeah, yeah. Either. Like part part of part of what's in the background that isn't really discussed too much uh, is the fact that they were shipped off to an aunt or a relative's house because of the Blitz. Basically, right. they're out in the country. Speaking of uh, not being able to light even a cigarette because uh, some bomber like catch your position, be like, oh. Well, open the hatch. There's some yeah. people down there. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and like, the way he focuses on it and the way the book focuses on it makes Turkish delight sound like the best fucking thing in the world. And obviously it's sim- symbolic of something else because, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a Christian allegory, this book. But, like, <laughs> it, it's just an example of a, a fantasy novel that uses food in a way that's very effective. It's It's symbolic. It's also in keeping with... The character it's appropriate for the world building that's going on and it reveals something about this this character the world they live in it's important to the story and like i remember as a kid thinking like turkish delight must be the best shit ever (laughs) that everybody remembers this this part of the story of turkish delight and that is a part of a lot of traditional folk tales that fantasy draws from you know like enchanted food or 
the apple in Snow White's mouth and things like that. Even from from ancient myth, right? It, the reason Persephone didn't wasn't able to come back all the way is because she ate what is it six pomegranate seeds. Yeah. And uh, if you again, if you eat fairy food, you 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 may end up being glamored into staying in fairyland. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's just one of those things that pops up over and over again and, and i think it's one of these things that also it's a device to show you just how fucking important food is right <laughs> and and how important it was to these uh, ancient people it's it's much much more on their minds in part because they probably had scarcity that we do not know of yet right uh, right I mean, right or i remember in, in doctor in the the faust story one of the miracles he gets is, I believe it's getting grapes in the middle of winter. Huh. At least in one version of it that I read. I, I don't know if this is the definitive version, but one of the miracles he shows is that basically he can teleport. Because hmm, like in order to get grapes in midwinter or, or w- whatever time of year it is at that time, like there's no fucking refrigerators. You, you reminded me of the adaptation, the movie adaptation of From Hell. Where mm-hmm. supposedly Jack the Ripper enticed the these you know, sex workers to become victims, basically by offering them grapes. Because it, I mean, it's obviously it's it requires a lot of work. Uh, it is it was considered at the time probably very posh to have grapes, you know. So, oh yeah. Plus, they taste great. I mean, let's yeah, let's, they're delicious. let's face it. They're really good. It was this huge part, and he was he was trying to impress somebody somebody's wife who was a real gourmand, and he just magicked up some grapes, and it's like, man, he he sold his fucking soul for this <laughs> to be able to get grapes, because like at the time that was really hot shit mm-hmm. to have grapes yeah. that time of year. There was no way to get fucking fresh grapes in in the winter months. So another thing to consider: how excited people would get for food. In a, in, a, in a society where that's just hard to get, where it's really, really, really hard to get. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Okay, some more speculative fiction. We're moving into movies now, but The Blue Milk in Star Wars. I know it's yep. a movie, but I had to mention it. It's a silly background detail, but I think it's interesting because it's a silly background detail in a series where people kind of don't have much in the way of bodies. Mm-hmm. Like people are, it's not very a very like sensual film. The nope. Star Wars movies, people get their hands chopped off with a lightsaber and they just like disappear. They don't bleed. It's just not a very body, not a, not a very physical series. But this tiny little incidental background thing is something people have gotten obsessed with and seized upon, to the point where like Ryan Johnson decided that in the sequels we have to show the space cow where the blue milk comes from. We have to show Luke Skywalker milking a big, weird alien cow. It's very important for people to know where the blue milk comes from. I mean, I I would probably uh, categorize them as weird manatees or something. Like, it's a sea cow, that's for sure. Yeah, but but yeah, I mean, it's it's something that I will say is I considered somewhat <laughs> disgusting to look at, but it's also like, okay, yeah, he, he would, he would want to eat and drink something that can keep him alive. So if that's what you got, that's what you eat. Well, well also for the character, that's what he drank as a, as a young person. Right. So like maybe it's kind of nostalgic for him. Like maybe mm. it's comfort food for him to drink from the space cow. 
I mean, how, how this is the thing, though. My, my brain is immediately going like, okay, so how prevalent were these sea cows? Because uh, it, supposedly the planet he's on is supposed to be like, it, it, they can't even find it. It's no, no longer on maps, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he's, so, he's so far away that it's, it's hidden away. So I don't think that Tatooine being another backwater had easy access to it. But yeah, it's one of these things where you're like going, okay, so how did that work exactly? It just strikes me that people, I, I feel like a lot of writers will kind of overlook food when they're writing, but then think about the one instance in which someone eats food in Star Wars and like, holy shit, the blue milk! You know, now I'm we're, mad, we're obsessed I'm mad. With it. <laughs> one time somebody ate food in that entire movie th- series and we can't stop thinking about the food. The, there are people still mad about that scene. <laughs> it's it's been several years. We we you could let it go. It's fine. Yeah. All right. Uh going back to books, a, a, a book we covered, Woman on the Edge of Time. Mm-hmm. Food plays a huge part in it. Connie is miserable on mental hospital food. When she's living at her brother's for Thanksgiving, she goes crazy just raiding the fridge because it's like, oh my god, actual food. And the Thorazine has worn off so I can taste it now. Holy shit. To the point where okay. like her in-laws are going like, damn, you're eating a lot. Jesus Christ. Chill out, Connie. She's like, but I'm so fucking hungry. There's a lot in there about the preparation of the meal, how the wife is preparing all this trendy food because that's what you're supposed to do but she doesn't eat any of it because she's probably on diet pills and shit and connie meanwhile is living in the vegan future where she's like <laughs> i can't fuck it i just want to i just, I just can, want, can I, I want just want a chicken burrito she, she's like cypher in the matrix she's like I, i'll take a fucking fake steak yeah <laughs> i'll take i'll take a a made-up code steak <laughs> virtual reality steak at least yeah. jesus give me something and, and, and I thought it was interesting, too, how food is at this sort of communal, almost a cafeteria in, in the vegan anarchist future. It is not in these individual little homes. That, that was also something considered, that you're going to have communal mealtimes because it's a communal society. Well, and it, 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 re, it sort of reinforces bonds, right? Yeah, yeah. No one's dining alone in that society and and i think in 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 the contemporary 1970s society connie does a lot of cooking and eating for herself she does a lot of eating alone or that she's or she's fed like really crappy food in the institution yeah well and and you just reminded me of the the complete opposite of a communal meal where uh not only is uh, what is her name in the in the movie get out uh where she's not only the the fruit loops yes it's she she's not only eating alone but also segregated her own food yeah (laughs) she's like eating fruit loops individually with her fingers and then sipping the milk separately and it's (laughs) It's really fucking weird such a fucking weirdo thing to do It's great. It's it also, so weird. It's wonderful. <laughs> up until that point, there's a certain veneer of, I could see her being normal, but being sort of pressured. And that's the scene where you're like, oh, no, she's completely psycho. That, yeah, this it, bitch is a freak. <laughs> she's, she's eating her Fruit Loops weird. Yeah. You can't um, trust her. But again, I think that speaks to character, right? It speaks to how she eats even a shitty food. It sort of tells you a lot about what type of character we're suddenly getting a glimpse of, right? Yeah. I also have A Song of Ice and Fire and Redwall uh, quotes Oh, yeah, well. yeah, yeah. George R. R. Martin fucking loves food. Oh, you he, think? He <laughs> loves food. He loves food. I love him. I know some people complain about feasting scenes in, in fantasy novels, but I actually kind of like him because I think it's kind of charming where the author, who you, you get to see that the author is a great big fat kid and they're excited. 
Going like, if I could plan a fantasy feast with a bunch of elves, here's what I would eat. Oh, it's well, actually kind of sweet. No, I, I I love it. Also, he he is he's got a good eye for where in society what's available to who in society where they stand right for instance the first one i have is when Arya is out on the streets fending for herself and it says in the bottom there were pot shops along the alleys where huge tubs of stew had been simmering for years and you could trade half your bird for a heel of yesterday's bread and a bowl of brown and they'd even stick the other half in the fire and crisp it up for you as long as you plucked the feathers yourself so you know this is basically she's caught herself a little squab like a little pigeon and she's summing up her trying to figure out what her options are for food because she hasn't eaten at that point she hasn't eaten in a couple of days oh god and then uh on the other complete other side of the spectrum class-wise right a royal feast right All, all the while the courses came and went a thick soup of barley and venison, salads of sweet grass and spinach and plums, sprinkled with crushed nuts, snails and honey and garlic. Sansa had never eaten snails before. Joffrey showed her how to get the snail out of the shell and fed her the first sweet morsel himself. Then came trout, fresh from the river, baked in clay. Her prince helped her crack open the hard casing and exposed the flaky white flesh within. And when the meat course was brought out, he served her himself, slicing a queen's portion from the joint, smiling as he laid it on her plate. She could see from the way he moved that his right arm was still troubling him, yet he uttered not a word of complaint. Right. Just lavish. Just like yeah. so much food. Oh, and something to keep in mind, too, is I, I don't know if we talked about this, but the effort it takes to prepare something, too. We kind of... We take that for granted now because there's so much available pre-made mm-hmm. or we have modern conveniences like blenders and and electric stoves and shit. But like back in the day, c- certain foods that are really easy to make now took insane amounts of effort because mm-hmm. you did not have modern conveniences. For a long time, gelatin, jello was a really kind of fancy food because like who had a refrigerator? Mm-hmm. No yeah. one. You, just, you 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 yeah. you might have an ice box, but that was exactly yeah. what it sounds like. <laughs> or, or before food processors, the effort it took to just grind shit up mm-hmm. was yep. insane. You had if you wanted to make a paste out of nuts, you had to grind it with a mortar and pestle, mm-hmm. which I, is probably why marzipan was such an amazing treat. Because like grinding that shit up with a mortar and pestle, it's going to take hours. It's going to be so goddamn hard to make. One of <laughs> one of George Washington's favorite desserts was called an orange fool I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going based on the the townsend's youtube channel is that and the reason it was such a treat for him it, it's basically just like a, a sweet orange sort of smoothie like mango lassi type thing but in order to make it you had to continuously stir a drink over a low flame for an entire hour mm-hmm. so if in order to be able to have that basically you had to be insanely rich and washington's case he he was a slave owner so that's Mm -hmm. why he was able to drink it if you were a peasant you could not fucking stir a cup for an hour you had shit to do you were tired (laughs) we we had joked around offline about stew being this thing that's like oh so so cliche and fantasy to have a stew and it's like i mean Sure. And again, I think this goes to certain assumptions, right? Mm -hmm. I think one of these things, the sort of contrary nature, the contrary nature of 
people like trying to outdo the old timers talking about stew is that they throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's not that stew wasn't made and sure it takes effort you would have to have a stationary like in in the the scene that i described with aria wandering the street you do have to have a stationary place to put a pot over a fire and keep feeding that fire over and over again until the stew is ready right but that doesn't mean that you cannot that that it wasn't a common enough thing I want to say several years ago now, I made uh, bigosh, which is like, I, I believe it's a Polish hunting stew. It, it was delicious. You have like at least three different types of meat in there, like a, a type of kielbasa or a sausage, some sort of beef. And I forget exactly the other thing, but lots of cabbage, uh, prunes. And it Ugh. needs, it needs, it, it, it tastes delicious. Believe me, oh. it, it, it sounds odd. I thought it was odd as well, but I was like, mm, let's see how it tastes. I think there's pork. Uh, pork is also included, so that, that combines well to the pork. Anyway, the, the point mm-hmm. that I'm trying to make here is that as I was cooking, I was thinking to myself, see, this is precisely the name the, the, the name it had, Hunter, Hunter's Stew, makes perfect sense because this is exactly, you'd right. set up camp, you'd range out. And in the meantime, someone's tending to the fire, and they may have brought little cured meat, and they slice yeah. it into the stew, and it's slowly starts You can bring prunes with you, it's dried. Yep, yep, exactly. And by the time you've perhaps caught yourself a boar or whatever, you put that into the stew as well, you mm-hmm. know, who knows? Yeah, yeah, it takes a while, but you can make it in one big pot over a fire. Mm-hmm. And, and it several, several people eat. Yeah, several people eat, you, you throw in whatever you got. And you just let it sit while you're hanging around your your cooking fire, and eventually you will have something edible. Yep. And yep, hearty. Exactly. And and if you have if you are camping, you're you're hungry as shit. You're so yeah. goddamn hungry. <laughs> it's true. That stew's gonna taste awesome. It's gonna taste so good. Yeah. So like yeah, there's a reason people ate stew because like that's what you can make with one pot. They probably didn't saute things very much. You gonna make a souffle on the trail? What else are you gonna? What else are you gonna make, man? Well, I mean, even something like bread, you needed to build a stove, uh, uh, an oven. I mean, I you can make a type of bread by co- sort of putting it near the fire and yeah. rotating it, but it's definitely like maybe a flatbread type thing, not or, you know a yeah. traditional loaf. Yeah, You're like, not making like, a fucking ciabatta. Something, something like Johnny cakes or something like that. Yeah, yeah you could make a sort of bread. Like a flat bread, a pita bread type stuff. Well, maybe not exactly pita, but, you know, pita bread shaped stuff. But, like, you're not making a loaf of sandwich bread. Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> you're not building a goddamn oven. Yeah, bakeries are, are a big deal, man. Yeah. <laughs> they really, they they always were as soon as we, we figured out how to yeah. make bread. Oh, yeah, there were there were all these customs of like bread. There were scandals of people put, trying to put sawdust in bread. Mm-hmm. There were bakers would have a mold, a bread mold, and that would have like a special stamp at the bottom to prove that it wasn't like counterfeit bread. Yes, yeah. people would try to like make counterfeit bread. They would also, like you said, they would cut it with different things to make yeah. the, the wheat. There was plenty of riots that happened even in i think in new york city itself there yeah. was uh was it the bread riot i forget exactly the name of it but there was mm-hmm. there was a couple of riots that basically proceeded because they had found out that the the wheat prices had gone up and so obviously the bakers cut their their ground wheat with other things 
to make it last, stretch it, stretch it out, and uh, it, it just. I mean, you can't really digest sawdust, so yeah, it's not a good time. <laughs> yeah, you, you're gonna you're gonna sort of like, hey, I don't feel I feel full, but uh, I feel weak. Why? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't feel good. So so just yeah, I know the, the it's this cliche of stew in the fantasy novel, but it's a cliche for a reason because that's what you eat when you're on a backpacking trip, man. Mm-hmm. That's what you do. That or, or like we we mentioned like dried stuff, um, yeah, uh, hand pies, that type of thing. Uh, yeah, what what's travel food? What kind of foods can be preserved and travel? I mean, you might have like lemnus bread or you know lemnus bread or whatever it's called in the fantasy novel, but there might be some kind of like fantasy novel version of whatever of some kind of travel food so that might be something to think about every society have the the travel food that's mm-hmm. edible but not necessarily the tastiest thing but this is what you bring with you because it does not go bad like like we mentioned bef- before but pemmican mm-hmm. pemmican was this sort of jerky that's apparently terrible to eat but but it is calories it is calories and protein and fat and it is survival food did did you know that jerky, the word itself, is derived from, as I understand it, from Incan practices? I did not know that. The Incans used to carry around, basically, they would freeze-dried or air-dried chunks of potatoes and carry them in little sacks. Specific, specifically, I think it was reserved a lot of the time for runners or messengers. Oh, carb-loading. Holy shit. Yep, yep. And so, yeah. Oh, that, that's so smart. It was originally, I think the the word in, I, I don't know if it's Quechua, but I'm going to guess it might be, uh, or whatever Quechua was back then, uh, would, yeah. would have been charky. Huh. So, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating to, to find out, you know, like, how exactly, how exactly food was appropriated. Yeah. <laughs> next, next up, noodles. No, 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 we're not going to. We are not starting noodle discourse today. No noodle discourse today. We are not doing that. Oh, uh, oh, another example. This is kind of a, more of a sci-fi than a fantasy novel, but The Iron Dream, I thought, mm-hmm. was kind of interesting with the way it used food to reveal the characters. So this was a Norman Spinrad's, like, basically, what if Hitler wrote a fanfic? Instead of becoming a, a dictator, what if he just sort of self-published some fanfic? So Hitler's little Mary Sue self-insert character is a strict vegetarian, because in the world of this novel, everything's got some sort of environmental pollution in it. Plants have less pollution in it, because, you know, animals, they'll eat a lot of plants, so this contagion will stay in their bodies, and they'll have more pollution in their bodies, so that it's like dirty and impure. And this is a guy who's obsessed with physical purity. <laughs> so he is a strict vegetarian to keep the pollution out of his body, and it's this really interesting way to reveal what's going on in the world of the story, and also the the main character's interests, and also the sort of pseudo-author his own personal obs- it's mm-hmm. it's really really cleverly done it's a it's a really fascinating book even though it's incredibly unpleasant to read <laughs> you mentioned the purity in food and i was like oh this character met up with the kellogg guy huh oh god the <laughs> kellogg guy. oh my god so for those of you who are don't know this the guy who invented cornflakes was like a really weird fad doctor in like the 1800s who invented cornflakes because he believed they would prevent people from masturbating 
which at the time people thought caused insanity and criminality. It, it was it was a weird time. We have a lot of weird obsessions with food. That is not new. Eighteen, 1800s, I think we were even weirder. So mm-hmm. I, I guess the seed oil guys are pretty comparatively normal compared to that those guys. But like, God, I, I'm fucking obsessed with that weird diet shit. He he was fascinating, man. <laughs> but but like that that's something that can show a person's obsessions and neuroses and a, a lot of times a big germophobia and a fear of impurities comes along with fascism with this cruelty. And I found that character trait interesting because it's almost an inversion of an instance of food obsessions and horror which is bram stoker's dracula the character renfield is obsessed with eating animals that are higher up the food chain because he believes the more lives you consume means you'll get to gain immortality like a vampire does so that it's i think a bit where an asylum doctor sees that renfield has been either keeping a notebook or doing you know the stereotypical crazy person writing on the walls thing of doing basic math of like okay how many flies would a spider eat how many spiders does a bird eat how many birds does a cat eat and he's doing this math to figure out what is the highest animal on the food chain that i can eat in order to consume all of these lives at once he, he wants to become an apex predator himself he does basically because dracula is an apex predator he eats mm-hmm. humans and he thinks like, maybe if I eat more lives, I can be like Dracula, kind of, or at least live forever like Dracula does. He, he just didn't have as much commitment as Dracula. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, he, he didn't, he have, didn't the, have that grind set. Yeah, he, he needed, he needed like, just straight up go, okay, I got to eat humans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know why Dracula is so good? It's because he wakes up even earlier than anyone else. Oh, you wake <laughs> up at 5 a.m. in the morning? I wake up before the morning. I wake up at sundown before the morning. How about that, fucker? Behold my garage. You think I only keep cars in here? Look at all the books on the walls. Vlad Sepish is nothing but grindset mentality. He reads everything. He doesn't drink wine because it's got too many carbs. <laughs> That's exactly. I'm on a very strict diet <laughs> he was the original influencer eating raw food the guy's <laughs> eating like butter testicle sandwiches he looks down on them like oh just drink blood <laughs> he's like pure. you need to go to the baby diet you just eat babies Look at my that's like the blood it's like the juicing equivalent <laughs> oh god of like the raw liver people he's Could like you? juicero basically oh Dracula. my god he, we're bringing see, it back he brought you brought it back we've he, come he, full he, circle Vlad, Vlad Sepish invented the Iron Maiden because that was actually his Juicero. <laughs> but then there's a big scandal because it turns out you don't need the Iron Maiden. You can just squeeze the person. He just gets like a really, <laughs> he just gets like a really weak guy and an average person can just squeeze him. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just like... It's really embarrassing. They just let Mina squeeze somebody. It's like, I can squeeze this as good as the Iron Maiden does. And I'm an average woman. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm 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 not the Iron Maiden. I'm just the regular maiden. Just a regular maiden. <laughs> just the nerd who gets to live. She's the Laurie Strode, compared to the slutty Lucy, who's too sexy to live. Sadly, sadly, sadly. much too sexy. Too sexy to live. She was too sexy for that dirt. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. I th- I, I, yeah, we've been going on for an hour and a half, <laughs> so I think we should wind down. <laughs> yeah, we're we're just making jokes now. We're, we're just, just riffing. riffing now. We're just we're just riffing. We're just being silly. But uh, any final thoughts? Uh, bon appetit. Bon appetit. Buen provecho. Co- compliments to the chef. 
Yeah, and thank you all for listening. Until next time, keep eating good things and keep writing good. This has been Write Good with Raquel S. Benedict. Hosted by Raquel S. Benedict and produced by Matt Keeley for KS Media LLC. Theme song by OK Glass. For comments and concerns, please write to us at writegood at kittystasis.com. That is R-I-T-E-G-U-D at kittystasis.com. If you'd like to support us, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash writegood. This has been a Kitty Steezes production. KittySneezes.com in color.